Welcome to the Evocative Exchange, where we meet with go-getters who have that X factor, a way of meeting today's challenges with bold and evocative solutions. We'll share what keeps these experts thinking, thriving, and feeling inspired in design, entrepreneurial life, healthcare marketing, and beyond. Today, on the Evocative Exchange, we welcome Veronica Cram, founder and CEO of Insight Strategic Solutions. Welcome, Veronica. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. This is so exciting. Yes, it is. Um, Veronica brings over 20 years of financial operational expertise to entrepreneurs and fast-growing company. She's an Xavier Creative House Advisory Board member, and her dedication to maximizing operational efficiency has led to remarkable success stories at both Xavier and her uh, wide mass of clients. So I'm excited to get started. Veronica, are you ready to go? I think I am. Let's do this. Okay. You know, your journey is truly inspiring. I mean, over two decades in fi different financial operational capacities, uh, assisting entrepreneurs across various industries. I just wonder if you could share like a Pivotal, pivotal moment in your career that fueled your passion for helping businesses achieve what you call true profitability and cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take you on a little ride real quick, though, because it all starts back in college. You know, I took oh, my, wow. my, <laughs> I took my first accounting classes and I immediately just bought in and understood those concepts very, very quickly. Um, and so I ended up switching over my major and, and going into accounting. And I remember in my very first accounting class, the instructor said the purpose of accounting is to provide business owners the data that they need to make decisions. And that always spoke with me. So I, as I worked in various industries, whether it was healthcare, fleet management, government contracting, um, education, I realized that Recording what has already happened is great, but how can owners actually translate that and make the best decisions for their companies using that data? So when I was working in education, I, I, I went into an operational role and I was able to prove to the CEO who was a firm believer in only salespeople uh, being in this role that, hey, an accountant is even more powerful in <laughs> operations because I knew what data was being captured and measured. And so therefore I knew what levers would make the numbers better. And so that was amazing. I felt great. I realized that data truly is powerful. And that's why I went into consulting and helping out business owners because they know how to do what they do best, right? Whether it's a right. person making shoes or or marketing or putting together these highly technical things, but they don't understand how to read the numbers and how to make the best decisions by them. So I have to ask Veronica, you said that you changed your major to accounting. However, when you entered college, what was your major? Did you have a different one? I did. I actually went to college um, majoring in management because at the time in the state of Texas, in order to open up your own 
privately held daycare, you had to have a management degree. And okay. so my goal at going into college was to earn a degree so I could own a privately held daycare that provided a high quality education to lower income individuals. Wow. That's amazing. What it, it's such a shift. And I think it's, it's such a lesson to people that if we remain open to all possibilities, anything could happen. So I'm kind of glad that you discovered accounting so early, you know, in, in college. And I feel like what you said about, you know, the person thought a sales person with a sales background would be the best person in operations. But for you, you're a true financial partner. And I think that's one of the things that's that's so neat about you working side by side with your client. You know, they under now they get to understand the cash flow and some of the numbers. And then you're bringing those insights into clash, cash flow management and, you know, just like how to really do things correctly. So I'm just wondering, like, just to bring it all to light, what would be maybe a good real world example of how you helped a small business owner, you know, catch on to how important these things are? Yeah, absolutely. So let me start off by saying one of the first questions I ask any client is, you know, what is what is your goal? Because every owner has a different goal, whether it's I want to grow my company by X dollars or X percent. I want to take home more money. Um, I want to increase profits. I want to sell my company within five years for X amount of dollars. So my goal, first of all, is to help owners reach their goal. So this particular client that I have in mind she um, had started working with me about three years after starting a new division of her company. So she had an existing company and then she started this additional division. After our first meeting, even without having the accounting data to prove it, I calculated her loss for the new division and her profits from the existing one. And I just told her, your existing division was funding that new division. And she's like, you're right. That's exactly what I thought. And that's what I felt in my gut. I just didn't have anyone else to tell me that. And I said, well, we can grow this new division. And if we grow it by 10 times and do it quickly, that's when we're going to be profitable. We can pay back all the cash to the other division and life will be great. And she went home and she thought about it, Donna. And she called me the next day and said, I don't want to do it because that's that new division causes me more headaches, more pain, and it's just a lot of work and I just don't want to do it. Wow. And so we ended up closing that second division and immediately she felt better. She felt relieved that I had brought her that clarity um, and she stayed with the older division, continuing to grow it. And in the last six months, she has doubled that one. And that was the originally profitable one as well. So positive cash flows, more profitable, a lot, uh, more profitable and, you know, less headaches. So I consider that to be a win. <laughs> without, without a doubt. And I think what helped this client to make the decision, like you said, you would literally have to grow this ancillary business 10 times over in order for it to carry its own weight. And that was the thing that she needed to go home and think about, right? And and honestly, had she had she maybe thought about that in advance, um, it might have made that decision, you know, a little 
a little bit different, right? And and that's where I see you really sort of shining is, um, as I said before, working as a true partner, you understand the financials and therefore you're enhancing operational business decisions. And I think that that, I think that's pretty unique in terms of, you know, what people might say, well, this is my accountant, this is my bookkeeper, you know, I think you have some hybrid model, right, that, that you're, that you're in there at a much higher level. I'm just, and I'm just wondering, uh, you must get a lot of referrals. I can imagine that client that you just spoke about must have wanted to tell the world, like, how do you handle referrals? Oh, that's a great question. A hundred percent of my clients come from referrals. Uh, money is very personal, Donna. Not everybody wants to to show what's underneath the hood to everybody walking mm. down the street, right? And, and numbers yeah. don't lie. So they're very personal. Um, and so, yes, I I do get uh, referrals from, from existing clients. And it's funny you mentioned that with this client I just mentioned because her banker was in the meeting where I told her 10 times and her banker now sends me referrals because she said, nobody else I know would have told her the truth. And wow. you did. <laughs> that is a great testimonial right there. Yeah. But with my referrals, um, I, you know, I always set up a, a conversation with them and, and I'm, I'm very, uh, I want to say methodical and I talk with them and I see, Hey, are we going to be a great fit together? Because there are some people that I am not going to be a great fit. There's also a lot that I am. And so I do sit there and, and if I have a, a, a system that I, that I input uh, our conversation into, and if, if we're not sitting at a 70%, then I won't go through with our initial strategic financial sessions. Um, and then after those sessions, if they're not qualified at an 80%, then I will not continue to partner with them going forward. Do you find that it's a like a certain type of person that wants that true partnership, like they're more open-minded? Like what are the qualities that you're seeing across the board in all of your clients? I would say um, those that are willing to listen and to learn and to execute on the change that I'm recommending. Um, unfortunately, sometimes people, they want to lose the 10 pounds, but they keep eating the 10 Whoppers every day and it's just not going to happen. Um, so they have to be willing to do the work as well. That is a great analogy. It's maybe a little bit of tough love, right? Yes, absolutely. Now, I know that you've done so much work in your community um, with with women-owned businesses, and certainly you, you have uh, many clients that um, are women-owned. Uh, but is there any gender diversity in your client base? Is it just women or is it women and men? I have both women and men and about right now we're sitting at half and half. So when we started uh, Insight Strategic Solutions, we were leaning more about 75% female owned, 25% male owned, but now we're sitting at about half and half. So that's exciting too. Yeah, I want to know just a little bit, just for our listeners, if you can talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've done in the community to help women owned businesses. Sure. So, you know, I'll go back to the, when you asked me, you know, what was my original uh, degree choice oh, uh, right. for my undergraduate? So I remember calling up my father, Donna, and I said, 
I'm very confused. This accounting stuff is so easy and it makes so much sense. You know, the clouds are opening up, the, the sun is coming out. I'm hearing birds chirping. And he said, you can help more people Wow. that will then give back to their communities and thus helping the ones who are under-resourced. Wow. And you know, even now saying that I got chills because it's a hundred percent true. I look at all of the clients I help and I'm like, wow, like let's look at Xavier Creative House. When I started working uh, with this team, there was only three employees. Now we're over 20, right? We've grown over 200%. That means that we are putting more into the community through our employees, through the work that we're doing. And so to answer your question on insights, yeah. we do a lot of community um, uh, sponsorships of, of women events, uh, such as you know women honoring women. There's um, a foundation here that we're a fierce proponent of called the Alm Foundation. And they are actually, they provide mentors to under-resourced young girls in high school. Um, mm. And they are trying to break the cycle of poverty. And wow. it's, it's amazing. So we, we choose all of these fantastic organizations to partner with. I sit on some of their boards as well, but that's how we choose to give back here in, in our community. Well, I think, I think that's wonderful. And um, the, uh, or earlier we talked about you being a member of Xavier Creative House's advisory board. So Xavier is the host of the Evocative Exchange. And you started out with them as a supplier, a partner, you know, a vendor, but now you're actually the treasurer of their advisory board. And so to me, that's a much deeper relationship. And I'm just wondering, like, with all of the the revenue growth and the team expansion that you mentioned, can you can you talk about like the strategies that you implemented? Uh, you talked about the standardized pricing model, but just kind of give us an idea of what's underneath that hood that made that engine rev so high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I do consider myself a partner with all of my clients. And I think with Xavier Creative House, you know, first serving as a fractional CFO, right? So as a, as a vendor, and then also becoming a member of their advisory board, it just deepens that uh, that relationship and understanding, you know, the ins and the outs of, of what's happening at Xavier Creative House so that I can continue to strategically advise the team as we continue to grow. Um, you know, uh, one of the, the big goals when I first started working with them was to standardize the pricing uh, for projects. Uh, the big reason there was to be able to quickly turn around quotes for projects to empower others to have the ability to generate these because it was a bottleneck having it all being done by one person. Um, the next thing I needed to look at as we were you know, seeing some large growth was advising on when to hire more W2 team members and you know when to continue to lean on our 1099s across the world uh keep in mind donna this was during COVID. everything was changing right <laughs> and, it was crazy time it was crazy and so you know just giving that advice and being there and saying okay if this is our target for the next three months and six months let's our let's align ourselves let's get ready who's the next big ad for this team 
who uh, who's going to help us get there? Do we have the right people? Um, and you know, Xavier Creative House does such a great job with company culture as well, and that team and their leadership. They not only share the targets and the goals that we have, but they also believe in celebrating them as an entire company. And so my role is helping in assessing uh, in, uh, in setting the targets, you know, whether it's revenue, profits, um, utilization, and I provide guidance on how to get there. But, you know, the true day in and day out of, of culture that is all over, you know, 100% uh, Xavier Creative House. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, we started out talking about pricing and of course that's a huge, big deal. Um, and then we were talking about when to hire, who to hire, putting the right people in the right seats. And I feel like if anything was going to explain what is the difference between say your standard financial individual and you, right, for strategic insight, like that would be it, like moving into that area. And I know when you said they, you were, there were a couple people, you know, less than five people when you started and now it's, it's 20. How did you figure out, like, let's say, when do you add a financial person inside the company, right? You were the fractional CFO when you started, and now there's an assistant controller. Like, what goes into that kind of a decision? Ooh, great questions. I can't give you all my secrets, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so there, there are there are certain formulas that we look at, and there's different metrics with regards to time. Right. So if we're if we are outsourcing 20 hours a week on a consistent basis, then let's go ahead and bring somebody on full time in house as long as we're going to continue on this growth trajectory. Right. So those are those are some of the basic things. And, you know, I, I'm also always looking at productivity. Um, I mentioned setting utilization targets earlier, but mm -hmm. what I'm really looking at as a company is growing is. For every dollar that I am paying a team member, how much in margin am I generating? And I look at that, um, you know, I look at that across industries, across different companies, um, because it's it's a very telling number, right? Mm -hmm. Utilization is very popular, Donna, especially for my right. IT clients. They love some utilization, but utilization only calculates how much of the team member's time is spent working on a customer's work. So, you know, and I, I use the example of my IT clients. If someone says I worked eight hours on ticket one, two, three, it shows up that they were 100% utilized that day. But right. guess what? If that was just an email password reset, we've lost money on that because that's a maybe $15 value of a job that we just spent $100 paying that person for the, for the full day. So to me, I'm always looking at you know, what is that margin that I'm getting out of every team member? And so when we're making decisions on hiring, we're not only looking at how busy or how much we're paying somebody outside the company to do, but we're also looking at what is our next goal on revenue growth? And mm -hmm. if I bring this person on, are we going to have enough work for them to do to be busy um, within four to six months? then yes, because we all know in the first three months, everyone's a little bit slower and we're learning the ropes. But so we're constantly forecasting and reforecasting, Donna. 
You know, Veronica, it's funny because Xavier Creative House is a virtual company, right? So there's a big difference between a brick and mortar and their expenses, right? Their fixed costs and someone that's virtual. So are you finding that there's major differences? Do you have different strategies for virtual versus, um, you know, in-person models for businesses? I don't necessarily have a different model, but I do hold them to a higher productivity level just slightly okay. Okay. Um, because um, they tend to have less meetings when they're fully virtual. There's less idle chit chat at the coffee machine okay. and talking about the weekend. Um, so I do hold it just, I mean, it's, it's just like a hair bit higher. Um, because I also don't want to discount the, uh, the work that they're doing. So it is just a little bit higher though. Right. I think another, um, popular topic and it's new to some people, it's new to a lot of people is AI, right? So we're hearing so much about, um, how companies are using AI in business. What, what role does AI play in your business? Oh, Donna, I think it plays a, a role that it probably plays in most small businesses, right? Um, for instance, I'm, I just uh, needed to create a, a legal document for a future uh, consultant that's going to be coming onto Insight. So I, I used AI to create a collaboration agreement with non-compete, uh, confidentiality, all the good details about money and, and all that good stuff. And then what I did is I just, you know, copied and pasted, sent it to my business attorney. And so it was great because that turnaround time, instead of being a week or a couple of days, it was now 30 minutes because my attorney wasn't starting from a blank slate or having to think through who was another client who had something similar. She read through what I sent. She edited, she brought in some things that I didn't realize I should have asked AI to include. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it was great. And so again, you know, quicker turnaround for me, it allowed her to use what she does best, which is let me use my own personal knowledge uh, of right. working with businesses and, and bring that to the table as well, instead of her actually doing the administrative type stuff. I think with AI, the, the big rule is, um, you know, bad input, bad output, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to know what to ask uh, of the data, and then you have to be able to differentiate when the data coming back isn't applicable, it's not relevant, or it's just it's just a filler, right? Because this is sometimes what happens with AI. And I just wonder, is there any way that a client might be trying to use AI to supplement their financial expertise and, and possibly get in trouble with that? I'm not sure about trouble and trying to supplement their financial expertise. I mean, it, to your point, right, bad data in, bad data mm -hmm. out. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of times if you don't know what you're asking for, you're going to get, you know, inaccurate information. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say, you know, the, the folks that I run into when I'm, when I'm at the chamber events or just mingling amongst other business owners, I run into some people um, who are very hesitant to embrace it and are pretty mm -hmm. fiercely opposed to, to using AI. And what I tell them is you need to learn as much as you can about this because it's not necessarily out to steal your job. It's so that you can be more efficient. 
For you to start something from a blank slate, it's going to take you two hours. Wouldn't you rather only take, you know, 15 to 30 minutes? AI is not going to know um, the local verbiage that that is that is seen or the company, um, um, you know, the culture that's in the right. emails. You can say, make this sound more casual and it'll say, hey, bro. Right. And nobody, (laughs) it's either super formal or super casual. And so it still needs your voice, but yes, you can use it and it'll help you get started. It's nothing to be fearful of. And, and the more that they can embrace it and learn the the ins and outs, then the better they're going to be able to help their clients. So I tell them to embrace it. Right. I mean, I think that's good advice. And I think the model that you're using where you use the technology to draft and then you took that draft to someone that's a paid expert, someone who's educated and has a degree. And then that way you're going to see what am I missing or what do I have that I really shouldn't have in there at all. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a great thing to pass along to our listeners um, that'll keep them uh, moving forward with the technology. Um, earlier, you mentioned a little bit about uh, you were looking at an operational role um, in a university. So I was intrigued by your uh, background with academia, right? So you said you started out, you thought you were going to be a small business owner, and then you discovered accounting and got that degree. So how did you end up working for a university? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, I, I worked in a, a lot of different industries and I would go in, Donna, and I would fix the processes regarding accounting and then I would get bored. Um, <laughs> it was a it was a big cycle for me in my youth. Right. So right. then um, I, I ran across a, an interesting opportunity. I was probably 28 and it was to be a campus controller for a, a college here in town. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is pretty cool. I get to use numbers um, and it's a, it's a large organization. At the time, this company had 11 locations across the Southeast. And so I, I became this campus controller and it was, it was a completely new industry to me. But remember, numbers and processes are, are just that. They're numbers and processes no matter where you are. So, you know, I, I understood numbers and then it was about understanding what the school does, how their numbers are created, putting together processes. Um, and then I worked my way up about every year I got promoted to a different role. Um, and I worked my way up from, you know, being a campus controller to then I was opening up new campus locations, training controllers for new locations, assisting with new locations, um, hmm kept growing. And then I, I worked my way up to being a, an AVP of accounting. And so I was in the, the quote unquote ivory tower, right. And, <laughs> and loving being up there at the CEO, the CFO, he was, he was who I reported to. I loved it. It was great. But then I said, this is kind of boring. Like I, I like <laughs> talking to the people. I like talking with students and teachers. Right. So I went to the CEO and I said, I want to be a campus president. And he said, no, you're an accountant. And and at this time I had an undergraduate degree and a master's in accounting. So I said, okay, well now you're paying for me to go back to school. So I went back and I got my executive MBA at Auburn University. And a month before I graduated, uh, the CEO came into my office and he said, Veronica, you're moving to Biloxi, Mississippi, and you start in two (laughs) weeks. Oh, and I boy. Said, oh my gosh. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I, I went there and it was, it was an amazing, amazing role. And what I learned there was I went for more of a processing role and a guidance role to really being, uh, in touch, I guess, with, you know, emotional intelligence, right? There's five parts to emotional intelligence. There's self-awareness. So being aware of myself as I walked the hallways, as I right. sat in classrooms, as I spoke with teachers, um, you know, self-regulation, uh, motivation, understanding that, hey, every single person in this school is motivated by something different. And it's my job as the leader to figure out how are they motivated and how can I speak to that? Because exactly. I I needed everybody to be giving me their best, um, you know, empathy. And then, you know, of course, social skills. And it was, it was through tapping into all of those aspects of emotional intelligence and managing my own emotions, and understanding the emotions of those around right. me that really led to success in that role as well as all my other roles since then, even in consulting, right? We need to know who we're talking with on a daily basis and, and hear them when they say their cash flow is down and understand them when they say, I'm going to double my business in a year and try to, you know, bring them back to reality. I mean, exactly. <laughs> I get to use all of these skills. And so I always say that was such a key, a key role for me um, at that point in my life. And, you know, Donna, I, I worked with that company for close to 10 years. Oh, I wow. mentioned we started with about 11 locations. And when I left, we had 130. So That's it was enormous. It was amazing. Yeah, oh it was gosh. amazing. And I loved growth. it. That's <laughs> yes. crazy. Yes. I think, I think emotional intelligence is really important. And I'd love to see more skill building around that built into curriculums that, you know, even in high school. Um, and I think that um, it's, People need to learn how to read the room because some of the biggest mistakes we can make in business is when, you know, we go whole hog into something and we know it's going bad, but, you know, we just still go into it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the process or the procedure is bad, but it's the relationship that needs to be built first. So I can, I can absolutely see where that has made a difference in you becoming that true partner that person that is trusted to look under the hood and to, and even to give the tough love to your clients. Thank you. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. What, what's next for you? I mentioned a moment ago that you had, you onboarded a new contributor. What's going to happen with your business? Where do you see yourself in, in three to five years or where would you like to be? Oh, I love that question, Donna, because that's a question I ask myself almost every day. <laughs> and guess what? There's a different answer every single day. <laughs> okay. You know, I started I, I started Insight because, you know, my daughter, I, I have one daughter and she is young and I it was during COVID and I really needed to spend time with her. And um, I am blessed to have my own consulting firm and I am blessed to have amazing clients who are referring other clients to me. But I also realize it can't all just be me because, again, I love spending time with my family and setting those okay. those boundaries. Um, and so as I bring on um, additional consultants, they will be working with uh, with new clients and mm -hmm. thus allowing me to continue to work with my existing clients 
and to continue spending time with my family. Um, that sounds fabulous. I was talking Donna, to a client earlier today and I, I mentioned to her, I was like, if you want an appointment in December, it better happen soon. And she's like, why? And I said, because one of the lines that I drew over three years ago when I started my firm was when my daughter is out of school for the holidays, mm -hmm. I am out of work for the holidays. I was like, so we're gone about three and a half weeks. I said, I I'm still here. Like if employees, if, if clients need to have a quick conversation or do, you know, or, Hey, let's hop on a call. I need to hire someone. I'm still available, but I am not actively scheduling and I block off for regularly scheduled uh, meetings and calls because I think that that's, that is what's important to me. And that is why I, you know, do what I do. I'm, I'm helping others so they can help their employees and their families. And in return, I take three, three and a half weeks off for Christmas. I think that's fabulous. I think more business owners and even corporate individuals need to look at that work-life balance because we think that the harder we work, the better of an employee we are. And, and maybe it's the opposite, that discretionary effort that employers are looking for from their people can come when that person feels it's a gift that they're giving, that they're, you know, they're doing that at their own discretion. And it's not something that they just have to do to compete with everyone else. So I think that that's, it's, it is, it, you, it, it's a privilege. You're right. It's a privilege to be able to set those boundaries as the owner of your company. So good for you. Thank you. So I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to know more, or maybe they're going to want to refer themselves as a client. What, what's the best way to find out more about your company or reach you to have a conversation? Absolutely. Um, they can go to our website. And so it's insightstrategicsolutions.com. And on there, they'll find some videos from uh, clients, just some testimonials. They can read up about the services that we provide. And they can also schedule a, an introductory call with me as well. Oh, that sounds great. Are you also on LinkedIn? Is that a good way for people I to am learn also, a little bit about you? Absolutely. We're also on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. And so oh. you can look us up on any of those channels. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the things that we like to do is drop those links um, in the notes section when the podcast is published. So People don't have to worry about getting all of that down or trying to search for you. They'll be able to just click and go. Perfect. So I just, I just want to thank you again, you know, as a women-owned business, uh, this is, um, I think it's inspiring for people to hear about your trajectory, that it wasn't necessarily a straight line or, you know, an arrow, you know, moving very quickly and knowing where you were going, but that it was just being open and feeling your way and knowing that when you got bored, it, there was more challenge out there for you. So I'm hoping that you're fully um, challenged and reaching your potential in your business. And I want to thank you again for being such a great guest. Thank you, Donna. I'll also say, since you said, an, it, you know, my journey was not an arrow going straight. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things is understanding that in order for an arrow to go straight, it needs to first be pulled back. And so, mm -hmm. and I just got chills when I said that because, you know, it, it wasn't always a, a, a nice, easy ride, right? Sometimes yeah. I did have to take a step back and just knowing that I have to take a step back in order to further myself and get further along, that was very important for me. 
without a doubt. That's I that's an analogy I'm gonna remember. I hope I hope you won't mind if I use that one. It is all yours, Donna. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we appreciate it. Thank you. This has been the Evocative Exchange that explores people and businesses that have that X factor that keeps you inspired and focused on what's possible. Thank you.